it's been a couple weeks. We had our little Ted Lasso extravaganza and took a little summer vacay. Yeah. Do you think we still know how to podcast together or do you think this is going to be a disaster? I I think it'll be good. You know why? Um, because we still have lots of opinions and are happy this to share true. them. This is true. And we're, we're both still big pet proud couch potatoes that watch pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. And this week on Must Watch, we're talking about Jungle Cruise starring one of our all-time favorites and your close personal friend, Mr. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes, the future best man at my wedding, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, 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 <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it for many reasons, Jean. Number one, obviously, we are a streaming-focused podcast, and I feel like right now the world of traditional legacy entertainment and streaming is becoming increasingly blurred, and I feel like that's nowhere more prevalent than on Disney+, Plus because in the last month alone, Disney's released both Marvel's Black Widow and, as we just said, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt's Jungle Cruise in both theaters and on Disney+. Plus. Just as like a sub-supporting point to that, this weekend, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad hit movie theaters and on HBO Max. So we are living in the day and date simultaneous release shortened theatrical window world where, you know, what is entertainment? What is streaming? What is a theatrical movie? They're all just kind of blending into one big blob. Yeah, but you got to tell their contracts department that because, you know, <laughs> there's oh, some yeah. issues in this uh, in this new world that we're living in that uh, maybe Disney lawyers who are usually pretty, <laughs> pretty good didn't necessarily take care of before they decided to release these giant blockbusters on streaming. Oh, yeah. I think the ScarJo subplot could be a bonus podcast episode. Yeah, for it's, us it's because that is issue. Yeah. Now, um, do, do you have a short, like a very, very, very brief take on it? My brief take is Disney has always been infamous for its haggling with talent and could have easily sidestepped a problem that they saw Warner Brothers go through just months before and simply chose not to. Why? Because they're arrogant pricks. I don't know if that's actually accurate, but frankly, it was such an easy and relatively inexpensive situation for them to solve as a, a company with a market cap of 325 billion. I don't know why they chose not to do that. Truly. I, I would agree with your take. Disney pay your gigantic movie stars, but whatever. I mean, like, I know people have been like, boohoo, Scarlett Johansson, you still got paid $20 million, but you know what? She was supposed to make more. It doesn't make it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, we're not weeping yeah. for the millionaires, but I'm no. just saying there exactly. are, it is very easy to find a financial middle ground compensation instead of sending a talent alienating message to the entire industry. Exactly. Anyway, we're here to talk about Jungle Cruise, a yes. fun romp. <laughs> yes. So Gene, to start, because we always like starting on this, what is your elevator quick review of Jungle Cruise? Okay. So I really like Emily Blunt. I really like Jack Whitehall. I really like The Rock. I thought altogether this movie didn't quite work. Like I could see how it was trying to work and the calculations. And I basically certain plot twists came into play and I was like, oh my God, come on. Um, <laughs> and it just, I just like, wasn't, I wasn't on board with it, so to speak. That was not it intended pun but I will um accept it uh because 
<laughs> it is a good one. I wasn't quite on board for Jungle Cruise. It didn't work for me. And then something happened at the very, very end that really pissed me off that we can talk about in a slightly more spoilerific context in a little bit. But first, Brandon, I want to know what you thought about Jungle Cruise. Well, I like that we're slightly on opposite sides, slightly, because for me, I like Jungle Cruise for the most part. Obviously, watching it, anyone who has, it is a pale imitation of, you know, an Indiana Jones or the mummy. It is noticeably not as fresh or invented as Pirates of the Caribbean, which is the other big Disney film based off a theme park ride. It's got some wonky CGI. And like you just said, it maybe leaps too far in its third act with some unnecessarily complicated reveals. But having said all that, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt have great chemistry together. Jesse Plemons turns in this delightfully gonzo performance as the villain. And there was enough charming humor to, poor pun intended, keep the boat afloat, more or less. So I, I kind of liked it more than I didn't, though I didn't necessarily think it was some revolutionary new franchise for Disney, which they actually quite need outside of Marvel and Star Wars, but that's a topic mm-hmm. for another day. Mm-hmm. So, so Gene, I want to ask you, where might it loosely rank on your 2021 movie list? So we can maybe provide a little bit more context. You know what? Interestingly, I don't think it's going to rank low. <laughs> I mean, like part of it is just, I'm so happy to have big new movies to watch that I'm like, right. yeah, great. This is, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent, it did what it needed to do. Um, but it's definitely not top tier. Um, and I would say top tier for me would be some like enjoyable films such as Fast Nine, which I saw twice. <laughs> you saw uh, it twice. No, oh, I Jean, did. you are oh, sure a wonderful did. soul. I sure did. It was great. Universal, where is her check? All right. <laughs> she needs to be a profit participant if we're talking about all this back end. <laughs> I saw it once at a um, press screening and then I saw it again. My friends and I rented a theater and it was truly the best. Me familia, obviously. Sorry, I meant, I said friends. I meant my family, obviously. Oh, that's adorable. Um, (laughs) So the Bentley squad all together watching of all things, the most ludicrous Fast and Furious entry in the entire franchise. Including multiple guests who have been on our podcast, like uh, the Hollywood Reporter Chief TV critic Dan Feinberg was there. Shout out to Dan Um, Feinberg. What a wonderful writer and and (laughs) podcast guest. I hope to have him back on. Yeah. And and, uh, TV Guide's Meg Vick and Eon Lines, Lauren Peaster. We, they were all part of this crew. Um, yeah, it was very fun. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a full-on blast. And even though we are separated by entire coast, about 3,500 miles, I'm upset I didn't get the invite. You know what? It's I'm fair. against you. <laughs> I should have given you the invite, but you know what? Next time, next time you're out here, next time we're on the same coast, it'll, it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for me, I can actually give you a, a exact ranking because what me and my brother started years ago is every new year, we rank every single new film that came out that year uh, in, in order. So I have it currently ranked at 26 out of 44 new movies I've seen this year. Again, I liked it. It was fun enough. It was charming enough. It was humorously swashbucklingly enough. But I didn't love it. I it's you know mid tier against the uh, against the backdrop of the entire year of cinema, but good enough for me in this moment. And that kind of brought me to a different point of view. 
I saw Jungle Cruise at an in-person press screening. So, you know, a full-on movie theater. Gene, to you, does the streaming context ever impact how you view something, how you grade something? That's a really good point. I'd like to think that I am pretty fair with that, particularly because, as you know, TV is my main thing. And in general, I'm viewing all of it on a home screen unless I'm, you know, going to an event premiere. Uh, so I don't necessarily factor screen size or, or experience into my account. Um, in the, the times that I would discount things from watching them at home is if, uh, they're like too dark. That's my main pet peeve when things are too dark and you're like, for the most part, people are watching television in their houses. (laughs) You need to like calibrate this to a home theater, not your like dark as hell editing room editors. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a separate rant too. Um, so no, so I don't think that this really had an impact. I watched Black Widow and Jungle Cruise both on, um, as digital screeners. Um, the main interesting thing is that Jesse Plemons character, um, and, uh, the, the villain Edgar Ramirez, um, didn't have subtitles on my screener. Really? So that did sort of impact it, but like in a way, well, first of all, you know, I speak German. So I understood what Jesse Plemons was saying. He was like talking about Die Balma, which is a tree. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I understand what, what he's, he's going for. I don't speak Spanish, unfortunately, but I was like, pretty much got the gist that Edgar right. was the bad guy and searching for this same thing. Like I, I got it. It worked out. It was fine. Um, so you know, that could have had an impact, but that's not even like Disney premiere access versus a theater. That's not the final version. That's like literally just a press, press screener. Had someone who did buy it on Disney plus premiere access, once it came out, wanted the the subtitles, they would have been able to get them. You just probably had an early copy or something of that nature. Yeah, exactly. It was no big deal. So I thought it was fun. I was glad that I watched, um, I watched both of them with a friend. So it was fun to just be able to sit there and, you know, quip, especially with, uh, with Jungle Cruise. That's the kind of thing where you're like talking a little bit through it and it's okay. (laughs) A little cross-cutting dialogue with with you and your friends. See, I, I need to do a little bit of a better job removing some bias and and kind of remaining uniform in my approach, because I have previously felt sometimes more forgiving to crappier movies that I screen at home than those I screened in person in theaters. You know, in other words, I'm more likely to enjoy a mid or subpar movie with some flair of sorts on my couch than if I had made the trek to a movie theater for a, you know, commiserate quality type of movie. And I saw both Black Widow and... Jungle Cruise in theaters at, at press screenings with, you know, a, a smattering of individuals enough where I, I felt like the experience was good. You get to laugh along with other people and whatnot. But I, I wonder what I would have thought of, particularly of Jungle Cruise, had I only seen it at home, particularly if I was by myself, I wasn't with other friends and I didn't have that communal viewing vibe to lean back on. Yeah, you know what, that is a really interesting thing to think about because as I said, I didn't love Jungle Cruise and perhaps I would have liked it a little bit better if I were with a crowd who was reacting 
um, instead of being, I was with uh, our uh, Ted Lasso guest extraordinaire, Ali Hagen. Um, Who's great. And if you haven't speaker. already, please check out our past two episodes, particularly as season two is going on weekly right now. And we yeah. have a great breakdown of season one and a great breakdown of season two. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, so maybe if I had seen it in a theater with more people, um, we would have gotten into the spirit a little bit better. It is a really interesting point to how you enjoy movies and how people around you affect it. Yeah. But ultimately, I think you're going to, your, your opinion isn't going to be wildly opposite depending on your experience. Like you might like it a little bit more or a little bit less, but you're not going to watch it at home and be like, I friggin' hate this. And then go see the theater <laughs> and be like, actually, I love it. Like, it's not going to swing that much in one direction, or at least it isn't for me. I think it's such a interesting topic to discuss because particularly, I know we're talking about Jungle Cruise, but the HBO Max day and date for all of WB's 2021 films, we've got a ton more coming up, a ton more have already premiered. I have found personally that it's probably most impactful, this streaming versus theatrical experience viewing situation with the mid-tier films. Because if a movie's absolute dog shit or a movie's just rock hard amazing, the medium is not going to change that. You're most likely going to feel that way if, if you see it both or, or just one. But those mid-tier films where your opinions can teeter, particularly with rewatches, that's where I'm seeing this component, at least in the social conversation, you know, the film Twitter bubble and anecdotally with friends and everything who are experiencing these movies in different ways as well. That's where I'm seeing it most kind of cut through the clutter. Yeah, totally. I also think about like there, you know, when you go to the movies and you watch the previews, which I always do because I love. I love to watch. Who doesn't love previews? It's great. And then you turn over to your friend that you're sitting next to and you go, I'm definitely going to see that. Or like, no way, I'm not going to see that. I love a very particular genre of movie, which is I can't wait to watch that on an airplane. It's like, you know exactly what I'm talking about, though. It's It's like a a crackerjack thriller of a movie. Yes, a thriller, a dumb comedy, anything starring Kevin Hart, I will watch on an airplane and love. If I watched that in my living room, I wouldn't necessarily like it. So, so context so does like matter. Though. Yeah. Did you, I didn't see fatherhood. I, you liked I it? I like father. I like fatherhood okay. well enough. Yeah. Check yeah. it out. Whether or not I you're on an airplane. I like him, but like some Kevin Hart movies are like, yeah, this is going to be funny. And some Kevin Hart movies, you're like, this is going to be the perfect like level of brain engagement for an airplane. <laughs> I think that makes perfect sense. And I think we can add that as a sub tier to our couch versus movie theater, yeah. you know, catch all. And we're like, well, sometimes I don't want to be in an airplane. Sometimes maybe, yeah. you know, my brother watches a ton of movies on his iPad while he runs on the treadmill. And I think that's mm-hmm. another little subdivision that we can add. Like what's a perfect movie tailored to that kind of physical exertion type of, of situation or like, hey, I'm going to pop a half Xanax and maybe fall asleep halfway through this movie on this plane. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's a, it's just like, let me tell you, anything starring Kevin Hart or The Rock and Kevin Hart is like the ideal. Yeah. Sometimes Tiffany Haddish is involved. She's a really good one who is just like the yeah. perfect, like kind of funny that you're like, it's it it's fun. It's like, you know, I'm I'm trying to find a kind way to be like, you kind of can shut your brain off. Like that's not not always it's but easily like, accessible. Yeah, exactly. It's just not complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's and great. That's fair. And I think 
again, as much as we want to remove bias from the equation when evaluating film, I do think in certain instances, context matters. And I think it's taken on a newer importance given what's happened over the pandemic and given how film distribution is changing. And so that kind of brings me to my next question that I wanted to touch on because it's, you know, we're talking about this every day in some form for our jobs and in, in some form because you know, we love the entertainment industry and we're passionate and talk to other people who feel like-minded. So what do you think this past year, Gene, where major tentpole films are de de debuting either day and date in theaters and on streaming or are being rerouted to streaming after 30 or 45 days? What do you think that means for the future of theatrical movie going and at-home entertainment? Because if you would have told me even two years ago that a Disney blockbuster starring The Rock and Emily Blunt was going to be partially released at home, I would have been like, you're full of shit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. If someone told you that, that Black Widow in Avenger. Oh yeah. Is going to be released at home. Oh my God. Like did you know, Disney lose a bet or something? Yeah, is there exactly. Is there compromising photos of Bob Chappick out there? <laughs> I mean, maybe we don't know. <laughs> um, listen, I think that it is, such an interesting thing to think about. And I kind of, I don't know. I think about my own habits personally. I'm a person who loves to go to the movies. I love to go to the movies by myself. It's one of my very favorite activities. I absolutely Wonderful, love simple it. pleasure. Yeah. It's like, especially like a Sunday morning when you wake up and you go to like, you know, the 11 o'clock show and you just kind of have popcorn for breakfast. This is a very specific um, image I'm painting, but it is something that I do frequently, you know, pretty regularly. Um, so I think that I am the kind of person who's like, I will be seeing movies in the theater if I can. Um, yeah, we're, we're theater first people, but we don't, yeah. we don't bemoan streaming's uh, intrusiveness. I mean, particularly in the pandemic, I don't blame any of these studios in a vacuum for going day and date because it's unprecedented circumstances. As I've said, and as we just talked about now, I blame them for not making their talent whole as a part of that process, yeah. financially speaking. I think the, the, the really cool thing is accessibility and people yeah. can see newer movies who maybe couldn't have easily gotten to the theaters before. And I think that what, like my prediction for what is gonna change after this is, not necessarily um, that there will be a lot of streaming, day and date streaming, mm -hmm. but that the window before things go to home video or streaming is just going to be a lot smaller. Yeah. And I think that is just the way the world is going to work now. But I don't know. I feel like you probably have a lot of an insightful analysis <laughs> on this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty aligned with you in both in terms of the rest of 2021 and beyond. You know, we have right now, a logjam of delayed blockbusters that are absolutely packing the schedule for the remainder of 2021, which will ideally help get audiences kind of back into theaters, assuming the Delta variant and other elements of COVID are under control, which is far from a sure thing right now. I mean, we just saw this past weekend, Clifford the Big Red Dog has been pulled from Paramount's release schedule. And we saw Sony release a new trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, that noticeably did not have a release date, even though it's been scheduled for September 24th for, you know, months. So that's a scary little tidbit to kind of update the COVID situation. And if we're talking about the rest of the year, 
I think Spider-Man No Way Home probably has the best shot at earning one billion worldwide of any 2021 film. It comes out in December. And, you know, that's kind of been looked at as the benchmark for like, okay, we're back in action. Theaters have recovered. But I think it's much more likely likely that we don't see another one billion dollar grocer until 2022. Uh, You know, a lot of people are talking like, should Marvel change course on Shang-Chi and release that day and date? on Disney Plus. Now, I wrote an article breaking down the pros and cons of that for Observer this week, but just today, Marvel Studios put out a tweet kind of further confirming that it's still theatrically exclusive only, and you have to wonder about the spikes in the uh, COVID diagnosis among the unvaccinated. I just think overall, too, if we're, if we're pulling back, as I've said on this show before, I don't think movie theaters are ever going extinct, Gene, ever, and I don't think you, you do either. I think there's always going to be demand for this communal group viewing of blockbuster tentpoles on the big screen in that environment. But like you just said, the scope of of viable theatrical properties continues to narrow, you know, and I think providing consumers with ample flexibility and choice for how and when they watch new titles is becoming the norm, which is going to lower the ceiling of the box office. And now we have essentially 30 to 45 day windows starting in 2022 for all the major uh, movie theaters. And that's going to affect things. So to wrap up this long rant, I think we're seeing less movies go to movie theaters. You had Warner Media announce a couple of weeks ago they're going to do at least 10 films exclusively for HBO Max a year. You have Disney saying Disney Plus Premier Access is going to be a case by case basis, although they're committed to theatrical. We know everyone's shortening the window. So it is such a wild, wild west situation out there. And I don't think film is ever going to return to those 40 billion plus worldwide totals they were putting up this past decade. I don't think we're ever going to see that again, though I still think we'll we'll get back to some successful blockbusters soon. And I think all of that to bring it back down to what we do this podcast about is going to impact streaming a lot because there's going to be a ton of movies debuting exclusively on at-home platforms and being rerouted from theaters to at-home platforms much quicker. Yeah. And rant. (laughs) Absolutely. And rant. I think you're absolutely right. I think the thing that the studios and the streaming services need to keep in mind is like now, instead of these huge billboards um, and like major advertising for the huge blockbuster movies that are going to be in theaters for months at a time, how do you market these films to your intended audience if you have a slightly different platform? And I don't know that they have done it right. Cause like even Netflix, there's like so many movies on Netflix that are Netflix originals that I didn't even know existed. I was trying to find a movie <laughs> to watch with my parents last night because they're visiting. And I went to the movies page on Netflix and I saw the, the end for Netflix original for all of these movies. And I was like, I've never even heard of half of these. <laughs> and I do this for my job. <laughs> so. Yeah, Netflix, Netflix is okay at getting you to watch something that is in a taste cluster they already know you like but has absolutely has a marketing problem. Then you have Amazon, which spends a ton of online marketing, but it's mostly in ecosystem, which means amazon.com is advertising Amazon Prime Video Originals. There's not a ton elsewhere. We we have yet to see how they're gonna split that spend because as you noted, marketing a film traditionally is super expensive. Now, if you can cut down on that via streaming, but still get the word out effectively, that'll open up new doors. 
but we have yet to see that super effectively thus far. Yeah. Well, then I want to ask you, Brennan, so the rest of the year, the streaming landscape, so Disney doesn't have any more, at least right now, Premiere Plus theatrical openings, right? Because you said they're they're, they're like, no, Shang-Chi is still going to be in theaters, which is great. I'm sure they could reverse course at any moment. I mean, we still have 15% of North American movie theaters that are closed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then- so we have, you know, HBO Max, which yeah. we know is doing the day and date for all of the WB movies this year. And that includes, as you said, Suicide Squad this weekend, other huge ones coming up. Dune, which I think I I feel like is actually a great candidate for something like this, because it's the kind of movie where you're like, I'm going to go watch it in the theater and then I'm not going to understand half of what's going on. So I'm going to come <laughs> home and turn on HBO Max and watch it again. Right? That is spoken like someone who has been around the entertainment industry for years and is just a veteran of like, that was great. I didn't understand half yeah. of what the fuck I just saw, but I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. And Tenet. Um... <laughs> yep. And it is, listen, I liked Tenet, but that was one of the most intangible, esoteric movies I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Hot guys in suits is really what I would describe that movie about. <laughs> I remember I'd been hyping it up to my friends who are, you know, movie fans, but of course not on our level who w- turned it into a career. I've been hyping it up for months. We, you know, we turn it on like 25 minutes in. I just paused. I'm like, guys, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. And they all laughed like, all right, thank God. Cause we didn't either. Yeah. At least we're not the only ones. <laughs> so, so, so long story short, I agree that, that yeah. Dune is perfect in terms of, I hope it makes a lot of the box office though. It's been a dubious prospect even before COVID, COVID, but it could benefit from repeat watchings subsequently on HBO Max. Yeah. What are some other of the biggest day and date streaming theatrical releases this year that you can think of besides that? I think we, we mentioned a couple. I'm excited for the Suicide Squad. I'm excited for Dune. I think The Matrix 4 is going to be a really big deal. I think King Richard, the Will Smith um, movie where he's playing Venus and Serena Williams' father could be very interesting. So of those, I think those are really interesting day and date candidates. If we're talking about hypothetical day and date candidates, I let's just say, and hopefully this is not the case, Delta is is really bad and movie theaters have to somewhat shudder again. If in December it's still a wonky situation, what if Disney does West Side Story, a 20th century release day and date on Hulu and in movie theaters? I think that could be interesting because while musicals typically do well in Hollywood and you have Steven Spielberg, which is a name, Ansel Elgort's Me Too allegations are, are a black mark on the movie. And there's not a ton of you know 15 to 25 year olds, which are the biggest movie going demographic, dying to get out there to see West Side Story. You know, that's more someone mm-hmm. who's a little bit older demographic. So I think that could be a really potentially interesting simultaneous release if we're talking about hypotheticals that hopefully won't come to pass because hopefully people get vaccinated and wear their masks. Yeah, seriously. I mean, hopefully. That's a really interesting prospect that not I have. political. Oh, we got political. Oh, we turned ah, it on. We turned it on. It's not political. Science isn't political. Um, you know, get vaccinated. <laughs> I like that. It's good. Hashtag science um, isn't political. Listen, that's a really interesting thing that I hadn't really thought of because I'm like, West Side Story is one where I'm like, I feel like that is, you know, it's a Christmas 
family oh, release. Yeah. And then also, interestingly, yes, it's not necessarily younger demo, but what it is is um, Latinos are the biggest movie going demographic in the country. Yeah. And so this does have, um, you know, a, a major uh, storyline. Um, obviously, I mean, Rita know. Moreno's coming Marino's, back. How is yeah, that Rita not Moreno's amazing? coming back. We have Rachel Zegler who plays Maria, and you know, she, the whole like movie is about a like a Puerto Rican gang and, and like an Italian gang on the West Side in the in Hell's Kitchen. So like that is <laughs> intrinsic to the plot, and and yeah. so that'll be interesting as well. It's kind um, of ironic yeah. that 2021 saw the release of two specifically New York City neighborhood related musicals in, in yeah. the Heights and West Side Story. Yeah, I'm looking forward to West Side Story. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, the, yeah. the original movie. Um, so, you know. I also really like the Broadway play. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Can't, can't beat the, that music. So yeah. What about you? Are, are there yeah. any up, on the upcoming schedule that you're particularly excited for that might have a streaming component, if not already? Yeah, I think that, what you said, I mean, West Side Story is definitely one of my most anticipated. I think um, I'm really excited for Shang-Chi and I yeah. really feel like they might they might switch it up. Yeah, yeah. I think but, if, uh, Delta keeps getting worse yeah. as it is in the last couple of weeks. I mean, they, they've got yeah. a month to decide, but I, I would not be surprised if in the next two, three weeks, they're like, listen, we, we got to do it. I mean, movie theaters and the foot traffic just aren't there. Yeah, and I would hope that perhaps they will be more responsible in compensating the stars yeah. of that movie, um, who would typically, much like um, Scarlett Johansson as like the only female Avenger, kind of got screwed on her release. I wouldn't want this amazingly um, Asian American story, amazing cast to kind of get screwed on that as well. Because yes, Delta is a factor, but also as we kind of mentioned before, Disney's like notoriously cheap. So <laughs> yeah, hope that that it, doesn't, uh, doesn't trickle down to these, these soon to be breakout stars. There are um, so many variables you know, at play. It's so, it's yeah. so difficult to decide what the right move is, but you know, under normal circumstances, if Jungle Cruise had opened to $92 million, which it did, including Disney Plus consumer spend, you know, that's a $200 million movie. That would have been considered a disappointment. On the COVID curve, it's like, all right, that was a, a decent first step for Jungle Cruise. Mm -hmm. Now we'll see how it plays longer term. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we both made jungle cruise puns uh when we were talking about it before which is very fitting uh for yes, for the rocks character actually okay so i kind of alluded to this do you want me to very quickly talk about the thing that i hated about the movie it is spoilery so warning now skip spoiler ahead a minute. alert for jungle yeah. cruise yeah spoiler alert for jungle cruise skip ahead one minute okay here is what i hated they go through this whole adventure. It's like oh, an absolutely wild turn when The Rock is like, hey, by the way, I'm 400 years old. And you're like, what BT the what? immortal. What the what? Uh, and then so then you're like, you finally get on board. You're like, okay, what's happening to Edgar Ramirez? And like, all of this is going on. Okay. Okay. We finally get to the end. And he and Emily Blunt had like chatted and he was like, yeah, I think after this, I'd really like 
like I'm done. I'd like to kind of peacefully go from this world. And she's been the whole time like, okay, I'm going to get this flower. I'm going to save humanity. I love science. Science is great. Again, not political. Science is great. Um, And then she gets the flower that can save all of mankind. And she gives it to her boyfriend who said he didn't even want it. What? What? Okay, so it was ridiculous. But my assumption, because I've thought about that, is they just need to wait until the next blood moon, which is a lunar eclipse, and then the tree blooms again. So I just figured that they could get more in like a month or however, I don't know how often a, a blood I mean, you put a lot started. of faith in that, but guess what? The little <laughs> tiny flower bloomed and they got one anyway. Everybody wins, but what? Come on, come on. She wouldn't do that for her ghost boyfriend. I don't, she wouldn't. I mean, listen, it's, it takes, takes place in 1916. So we still have two more years of world war one. Like all of those soldiers are like, come on, man. <laughs> He didn't even want to. Yeah. We also didn't discuss, um, you said Jesse Plemons was having a lot of fun. Totally. The Rock was having a lot of fun, punning away. Emily Blunt was beautiful. Great. Jack Whitehall was very funny, although they made his character gay, but couldn't say the word gay. Come on. Um, (laughs) What was the the um, proper terminology in like 1916? I don't don't know. But uh, Paul Giamatti, I mean what was going on <laughs> why even cast him in that small role and why would paul g Motti even agree to do that role i mean i don't begrudge anyone for being like yeah i'll do this and get some disney money but like what was he doing it's what was just, that he's like one of our most celebrated character actors <laughs> nobody quite understands what was happening yeah exactly but in general this is a genre of movie that is very fun and it just felt like noted to death it felt you could feel the studio influence on it and I think that is what contributed to me not liking it as much um again I did not hate it I did not have a bad time but I don't think I will ever watch this movie again (laughs) all right you heard it here first I must watch Jean Bentley has made her opinion known I like thank you Thank you. That's if what is a podcast for, if not ranting about, you know, movies that you thought were mediocre, whatever, exactly. it's fine. But if you guys have any Jungle Cruise thoughts you want to share with us, or you have any questions or thoughts on just the, the further blending and convergence of streaming and theatrical movies, hit us up on Twitter at great underscore Catsby at hygiene. In the meantime, please, please, please leave us a five-star review uh, must watch with Gene Bentley and Brandon Katz. You can find it on Apple, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for listening and uh, talk soon. Until next week, you guys. <laughs>